Well, I didn't have anything for like the the stupid preamble that we have where we actually say parlay. So, I mean, Google Goo Dolls is kind of a weird one because I, I don't really know what to elaborate on that. I just want to know what name John Resnick was talking about. Because you won't tell him your name, but whose right. name is it? Was it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Like, who is he talking? Maybe it's because he can't pronounce the name. Possible. Or it's such a famous name that he doesn't want to give it out. Or maybe he's just the apple of his eye. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really have anything else to elaborate on that. I mean, it might just be a... I'm going to go with really hard to pronounce because Resnick, with it being the R-Z-E, and you have that first Z is silent, it could still be one of those Eastern European names where, you know, anything that we see (laughs) as a consonant is a consonant, and over there it's a vowel. It's like I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to say a name and it's a, a friend of mine and I, it took me five years to say this right. Voisha Levitz, how I say that and I write it down. You will not be able to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> so maybe I mean, that's I the name. In, I live in Durham and like they have uh, Mike Krzyzewski, which if you look at, you know, a, it starts with a K he's known as coach K, but it starts Krzyzewski. It's like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. I see. I don't even want to try to break down the pronunciation of that, but I do have one name for you, gentlemen. Parlay. 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 <laughs> Kevin's questionable parlay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> parlay. That's the one. Parlay. Parlay. So good morning, good day, good afternoon. Welcome to Parlay Radio. We are the podcast that breaks down the popular bands that you love to hate and see whether or not they actually deserve it. Introductions all around. We're going to go with our hosts in alphabetical, and then I'm going to introduce our special guest today. Uh, Jay Bain, I'll tell you my name. My name is John J. Cash Money 94 Coleman, and I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Was that your AOL instant messenger handle? You'll never know. I don't think he was old enough for AOL. <laughs> don't you dare age me. Reverse age me like that. And my name is Devin Hughes, and I'm pretty sure that was John's MySpace handle when he was 12. <laughs> we do have a special guest today. You heard him a little bit in the intro, which of course will be in post. But I do want to go ahead and introduce that person. Our guest today is the drummer for the band Plastic Flamingos, based out of Durham, North Carolina. You can find their tunes at plasticflamingos.bandcamp.com, plasticflamingosband.com, or on your streaming service of choice. Please welcome to the show, Kevin Gavigan! We'll put in, like, applause or something right in there. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. Thank you for uh, being willing to do this. Uh, Basically, just responding to a post on Facebook, being like, I want to be on your show. (laughs) That that works. I'm in a band. Like, if somebody's like, hey... Do you want to listen to me talk? I'm like, yes, I want to talk. Yes, let's talk. (laughs) (laughs) So while John is completing the thing that he is completing and and, uh, just staring at that beautiful mustache there, he's got the clean shaven chin now, so it just shines. It's glorious. Oh, do I need to turn down my uh, brightness on my webcam? I don't know. It makes you look angelic. Oh. 
dear God, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and another Insert edition of Halo theme karaoke song. for Parlay Insert, the, <laughs> Insert <laughs> the Halo theme song here. <laughs> so, uh, Kevin, uh, we're going to talk about your band for a minute, and then we'll hop into the subject matter of the episode. Um, I read the bio description on both Fest's website as well as on your band camp, and I see beach vibes for troubled times. Plastic flamingos wrap serious subject matter like isolation and loss in glossy Jimmy Buffett-inspired pop-punk, self-deprecating humor, and 90s ska-punk. Just explain beach vibes for troubled times. I mean, kind of elaborate on that a little, if you will. So, like, I, I think all, everyone in my band, like, we have a kind of social conscience, but it doesn't really come out in the music because for us, it's, you know, like, we're trying to give everybody a good time. Like, I grew up in the punk scene where there's a lot of serious subject matter, and Brian does a really good job of writing songs that address some of that stuff, but... I mean, our songs are danceable, like we're out there to have a good time, but I want to kind of let people know that, look, we think about this stuff, we have a message, but it's, you know, it's not, we're not, you know, just a party band. Like we like to talk about important things, but we all <laughs> shake our butts and have a good time. So it's, it's about kind of mixing those two things together and giving people kind of things to think about while they're dancing. Does it actually come to a point whenever you're playing shows or anything like that, where you have a serious subject matter of the song, you see somebody dancing and then they freeze because they actually think about it too deeply. <laughs> no, that has not happened yet. Okay. Uh, but you know, it, it could happen at some point, I suppose. Do you uh, try to keep it like a little bit positive whenever you come with yeah, the lyrics on it? Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, I think, uh, our singer Brian's been through a bit the last few years and he's, he's kind of talked about it and he's definitely written songs about it. Um, you know, but I think for the most part, it's about, you know, coming through the other side of whatever it is you're going through, whether it's, you know, losing someone or having some, um, you know, addressing stuff about isolation, especially, you know, coming out of COVID where people have been kind of, you know, had weird anxiety stuff. And I, I mean, you know, we were both at Fest this year, and I think, like, it was the first time a lot of people had kind of been back out in a big crowd that they could actually, like, interact with those people. Because I was at Fest last year also, um, and it was a very different vibe than this. <laughs> so I think, like, you know, addressing <clears throat> stuff for people that, you know, I think it's a good way to talk about it and not have it just be, like, getting punched in the face with, like, you're going to think about this thing. <laughs> I actually wanted to elaborate a little bit on Fest um, because I didn't get to go for uh, Fest 19. Um, it was weird. It was super weird. <laughs> I, I can I can believe that. This year was amazing just to feel the community. And for those that are listening, uh, Fest is an annual, uh, I should say punk rock festival, but it's a mix of just about every genre you can imagine that happens in Gainesville, Florida towards the end of October. Um, think of 180 plus bands playing over a three and a half, four day period of time. And it is unbelievable. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of community involvement with it because it is organized by the community. Um, you will not find any mainstream bands at this festival. I mean, I think, well, probably like fat records is the most mainstream label for any of the bands playing. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, um, what is it? Bully played last year. And I think they're on like an actual big label that they haven't had like big success. Um, and then, you know, 
less than Jake plays and there are bands that have had hit singles or, you know, hit. And I put that in quotation marks, um, you know, bands of people inside the mainstream would have heard of and maybe have like one hit, but they're, you know, for the most part, it's all underground stuff. I mean, the suicide machines at one point, I think we're on Capitol. If yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah and, and they played this year played a few years ago. And like that, when I was in high school, they had a couple of big hits and, you know, the, Eve six was going to play, which I thought still, I still think was his publicity stunt and a hilarious one at that. There is a uh, venue, just small elaboration on this. There's a venue in Tallahassee for a number of years. It was just off the FSU campus called the shark tank. And it was pretty much for maybe about 50 people. It was out of the garage of a rented house (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) perfect punk venue, right? They have mattresses placed against the walls, so if you're moshing, you can bounce off the walls. Nobody gets hurt or anything like that. But additionally, at the end of the night, if you're a touring man, they lay the mattresses down on the floor and you got a place to sleep. Perfect. Which was awesome. But I, I'm not going to mention the uh, guy who ran the venue. Um, we will, for the sake of this um, show, call him T. T uh, attempted to book Smash Mouth. <laughs> And I think actually had some communication <laughs> with the band's tour manager, but also at the same time, this is when Steve, the singer was losing his voice and ability to speak. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if people are aware of that. The original lead singer of smash mouth is no longer in the band. Um, he had to quit because I believe he has aphasia, but it, hmm, his was brought ridiculous. on by alcoholism. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one thing that I did notice is you guys actually formed on lockdown. How did that work with social distancing? Um, well, so poorly, if I'm being perfectly honest about it. Like, um, so it's weird because um, Elliot, one of our guitar players, he and I had actually been in a band before, like a short-lived thing when I first moved to Durham. Um, and Brian and I kind of didn't know each other, but know of each other through the fest community. And I had heard that they were looking for a drummer and so we started kind of chatting back and forth online. And then one during one of the lulls, um, we all like did two, two COVID tests and we're like, okay, everyone can come to my house. We're going to open up all the windows in my practice space room. We're all going to mask and we're going to see if this works. Um, so we did that a couple of times and I think we practiced a grand total of maybe four times and then made our first record. <laughs> I think it starts um, off about the same with everybody. So that's actually, it, it seems about right. Yeah. And then the studio experience, you know, like our, our, the guy who does our engineering is um, Scotty, who's currently the guitar player for wolves and wolves and wolves and wolves and has been in almost people and a bunch of stuff. So we made him kind of go into the same protocols. So we kind of built a bubble around ourselves and um, did the best we could. Nobody got sick, so it was fine. And then we moved into a practice space as soon as we could, where it was open air and a little bit easier, and just kind of went from there. Well, fantastic. So again, Kevin is a drummer for Plastic Flamingos. They are on Bandcamp. They do have a website, PlasticFlamingosBand.com. You can also check them out on their streaming service of choice. So thank you again, Kevin, for joining us today. And one thing that we did with our show this week is we allowed Kevin to pick the band he wanted to discuss. I'm going to introduce the band. And then, Kevin, I would love for you to elaborate as to why you chose this band. (laughs) Without further ado... 
The Goo Goo Dolls are an American jangle pop band formed in 1986 in Buffalo, New York by singer and guitarist John Resnick, bassist and vocalist Robbie Takak. I don't know how to say that. T-A-K-A-C. Anyone want to take a swing at that? I mean, that's as good as any, I think. (laughs) And drummer... George, no, I'm not even going to say it. I'm just going to say Drummer George, who was later replaced by Mike, uh, God, these names suck. Mike Mountain. <laughs> Originally a post-grunge slash punk band, their sound changed from their 1994 hit single Name, giving them a push into the adult contemporary genre where they remain to this day. Kevin, why did you pick Goo Goo Dolls? So, I, I, A, I love to talk about the fact that they started on Metal Blade Records, which I just think is the funniest thing of all time. Like the fact that they shared a label with their fellow city mates, Cannibal Corpse. And like at the same, like at the same time, Metal Blade would release like Cannibal Corpse records, Guar records, um, uh, Merciful Fate. And then the first three of the Goo Goo Dolls records. And I think that is one of the best things of all time in music. I was listening. I mean, Jay, I think you said you were listening to him too. No, you, yeah. you, you were, yeah, but we were listening. I was still listening. We're listening to the, the albums, the early albums earlier today. And I was like, wow, this actually would have been great for Fest. Like yeah. any of the stuff they played was fantastic. And that's the thing. Like, so I think, like, if you listen to their first three records, those are clearly like a love letter to the state of Minnesota. Like it is just, (laughs) we love Husker Du and the replacements. And that's all we've listened to for the past 10 years. Like those records are just that. And I love them for it. Um, And then like, they kind of make this weird turn where clearly they were trying to get off of Metal Blade and onto Warner, which was the whole, the kind of parent company of Metal Blade at the time. And like, I will say they are, as far as I know, to this date, the only double platinum record Metal Blade ever released was Boy Named Goo. <laughs> and just they're they're full of just like some weird stuff. And if you listen to like Boy Named Goo as a whole record, it is so uneven and odd because it's clearly two different songwriters writing that. Like it's John and the bass player, like going back and forth. Like, I love punk. I want to be a rock star. I love punk. I want to be a rock star. <laughs> It just—it's like a Weird Al album, almost, you know. Yeah. There's never going to be one solid genre throughout the entire thing. No, and no, I mean none of their records are, but like you can hear the tension between two songwriters pretty clearly on most of those records until they get to like that record after Boy Named Goo, where John is like clearly, I'm writing the songs and I'm going to make us rock stars, but everybody's just going to have to go along for the ride. Which I think at that point is kind of when he gets his bad reputation for kind of being a schmuck. But he's not wrong, right? Like he's paying his bills off of songs he wrote 30 years ago. So good for the him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, between that and that manly chin he's got, Jesus. Ooh, that's true. That's true. He does. It's like, uh, what was the superhero from Fairly Odd Parents? The Crimson oh, Chin. Oh, Crimson Chin. <laughs> it's really just John Resnick. <laughs> so uh, before we get started, I do understand we have an independent um, business that we want to promote. Jay, you had it. Go ahead, buddy. Yes. Uh, so we're going to be promoting uh, Finale. Uh, they are a local clothing company that's just starting out in Clearwater, Florida. Uh, they've got some great designs and t- uh, on T-shirts, pants, sweaters, shorts, uh, and they carry a variety of sizes. Uh, you can find them currently uh, on Instagram at Finale, and that is 
F-E-N-A-L-I. All right, Kevin, you wanted to plug some stuff too, buddy? Yeah, so I we have a record coming out on uh, Say 10 Records next year, so I wanted to plug our beautiful record label, uh, Say 10, out of Richmond, Virginia, and their wonderful owner, Adam. He's a great supporter of the, uh, the local punk scene, the national punk scene, um, and is a great advocate for kind of a lot of things, whether it's you know social justice as well as just the music scene in general. I think he's a great person, and it's a great label to support in general. Um, we are very happy that they're going to help us out with our next record. Excellent, excellent. So upon the rotation this week, we do have our baby boy, our little toddler, John, is going to be covering numbers first. John, what do you have for us for the Goo Goo Dolls? Ooh-woo. Today, we are, for the Goo Goo Dolls, we have, they are easily one of the easier bands to do numbers on. Uh, all the numbers were much less controversial and hard to find than the 30 Seconds to Mars we had uh, the week prior to. That was very interesting. Conspiracies. Exactly. So, uh, uh, it has been confirmed they have over 15 million album sales, uh, and then roughly the same amount additional in streams. So if you add the streams numbers to it, they're sitting right around 30 million album sales. Streaming ends up was actually a bit more controversial conspiracy theory. Different sites had different numbers and EASs added to them. But it, it averaged out to be right around 15, another 15 million. But where their big numbers come in is they have 19 top 10 singles from this one band. 19 songs. That's of crazy. which... They all pretty much came, uh, as you were saying earlier, uh, when they went to Warner and left the punk scene, of which uh, they also have four Grammy nominations, all of which definitely came during their Warner days, vice their Metal Blade days. Uh, with that, they also have four Billboard Music Awards, wins, numerous more uh, nominations. And most importantly, their biggest thing is Iris was their number 39 Rolling Stones greatest pop songs of all time uh, out of 100. The question is, is how credible do we find Rolling Stone at this point? I mean, almost none, but also <laughs> if you go back and listen to that song, it's a really good song. Like I was I was joking earlier, kind of before everybody got on, that look, if Chris Caraba had written that song, there are like a million 32-year-olds that have um the lyrics of that uh to bleed bleed to know you're alive, like tattooed down their forearm. Right? Like I mean, it's actually a, it's kind of almost like a proto emo song. If Chris had written that song, I think Dashboard Confessional would still be played on major airwaves. <laughs> I mean, it'd be in the classic rock section too, but the question is whether it would be Dashboard or Further Seems Forever. That's really yeah. where it, I mean, they I mean, they came out of the scene I came out of years after I left. Like it was it was interesting to see that happen for them as a band, but um that's a whole sidetrack. <laughs> <Item. laughs> with as well as that song's written even if cannibal corpse had written it it'd still get radio play that's fair actually and for the record chris still looks like a college sophomore who plays acoustic on the west lawn of a university just to get people's attention throughout the day so uh going back to that so this was during mtv vh1 and uh rolling stone put that out was in the year 2000 yeah that makes sense so back in 2000, that song was two years old, and it was still ranked as the number 39 greatest pop song of all time. That's really impressive, actually. And and during that time, people actually 
liked Rolling Stone a lot more. So, wow. And actually, having recently seen Goo Goo Dolls live, just a couple months ago, I saw them. I didn't actually even go to see them with four Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, That was more Nicole, my wife. She really wanted to see Goo Goo Dolls. I was there for Blue October. Call me a uh, millennial emo kid if all you want, but... Okay. (laughs) I went there for Blue October. (laughs) But I'll tell you, though, between both Blue October and Goo Goo Dolls, it was a phenomenal show for a band from 1986. Much more amazing live than I expected for this uh, bunch of grumpy boomer kids. Because the best things were made in the 80s. (laughs) Are you really going to defend hair metal? Over there, buddy. I mean, like me and Devin. Oh, oh, okay, that's fine. Don't don't sweat the seventies either. There, we got we got someone born in the seventies here. Yeah, there's an old man on the line. I'd rather have I'd rather have disco than than hair metal. I will say, so we just did a group of friends just did a uh, thing where we had to put a song from the year that we were born, and I got to pick Psycho Killer from the uh, Talking Heads, and that that's is a so awesome. Awesome. That's a, that's a not bomb. even mad about it. That's awesome. That's a straight knee slapper. <laughs> I don't know what mine was. I think mine was either uh, oh God, um, Met at Work or Whitney Houston. I think was mine. I wasn't happy with it. I know I wasn't happy with it. <laughs> I mean, if I if I had to pick one, it would probably be I swear from All for One from the year I was born. So I'm surprised you you even know that song. song? I think they played that at my prom. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, another good one would probably be I Make Love to You from Boys to Men. You know, that's a good another 1994 song. Yeah, (laughs) they were still playing that at our middle school dances. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm still playing that in middle school dances now. I've totally got a confession to make. Boys to Men was the very first concert I ever went to. I mean, that, there are nothing wrong with that. Things in the world. It was actually a really good show. The only awkward thing is being there with my grandmother as they're singing oh. all these sexual songs, and I'm like, oh, nine years old, I have no idea what the hell's going on. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got, I got two first. My first like show, I wouldn't say concert because everybody was seated. Was Weird Al nice but my first standing room only concert i took uh old old friend uh matt thice shout out to matt and uh old friend jeremy may he rest in peace to stone temple pilots nice and that was scott wyland stone temple pilots and it was i think the the last tour they had before he quit the band the first time (laughs) so they did a great set it's two and a half hours and midway through, they even broke down the electric uh, stuff and did an acoustic set. And then when they came, they came back from that, had done a cover of uh, Wood by Allison Chains because Lane Staley had just passed away. So they did their own version of it, and it was incredible. So props to STP for always putting on a good show. I hope the new singer is also doing the same thing because they sound fantastic. So got to give them credit where it's due. I mean, Moving- my first concert was obviously my my dad but like because he was a musician so i went to a few of his shows but my second second concert was bieber no (laughs) no it was actually trace atkins was my my legit first uh concert back in like uh it was like 2000 2006 i believe i was playing shows by that point no Um, Devin, we were playing shows together 
Actually, we were playing shows before that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was playing shows on Guitar Hero in my living room. Like, oh, God. I think my the show I consider to be my first was seeing Danzig. That must have been incredible. That's the yeah. best first one. Now, which which singer though? Oh, wait, it was Danzig. So never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it was the uh, it was Shut the up. tour. It was the tour between. Uh, <laughs> it was Whitney Houston. <laughs> it was the yeah. leave me, leave It me. was the tour between uh, Danzig two and Danzig three. Right. Okay. Did Soundgarden come out uh, release uh, Black Hole Sun in ninety four? Was that like ninety five? Ninety four, ninety five. It is around that time, so it would have been a ninety four, I think. All right. Then if it, if ninety four was sound, uh, Black Hole Sun, then that would be my song that I would pick from nineteen ninety four. Yeah, that's solid. So I, w- I will say one quick thing about Danzig before we move on. It's funny to watch him get punched in the face online. Yes, <laughs> that that is one thing. Um, <laughs> no, we uh, I for a while played a lot of the local venues in Jacksonville and made friends with all the bookers. And upon various stories, we had bookers that would talk about Danzig walking into venues of places he was already scheduled to play. He would walk in, he'd look at the stage, he'd look at where the crowd's supposed to be, look at the light setup and go, no, and then leave and then cancel the show. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. He seems no. like a ass. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to move on to my section, which is lyrics. Uh, the top two songs from Goo Goo Dolls were, of course, their biggest hit, which is Iris, and uh, second biggest hit, which is Slide. So on Iris, I want to elaborate on a couple things with them. It is um, the 19th highest selling single in Ireland of all time, which is pretty cool. I don't know how many people we have that listen over there. I think currently it's one. Um, But anybody that is overseas knows that they have such a good taste for music. They listen to everything. Every genre is always on the radio over there, and it's fantastic. I love the stations that they have in the UK and surrounding areas. Um, So props to them for actually having that as such a high ranking there. Uh, The song was written, of course, by singer John Resnick. It wasn't actually allowed to chart on the Billboard Hot 100 originally because there was no commercial single that had been released. It was part of the City of Angels soundtrack. Oh, right. And so it actually spent 18 weeks at number one for Hot 100 Airplay before it charted on Billboard. So imagine that you have this single that is literally making you tons of money, but you can't do anything about it or talk about it (laughs) until your full length album releases. Well, and is that is that the time when Bill like the that's around the time where Billboard you had to have a physical single out to be considered for the Hot 100? Yeah, what a disaster that was. Yeah, they they always had uh, it was a two track single that would get sent to stations, and you could sell that in stores, but generally it was primarily for radio stations. Yeah. And it was always one version of the song and then a B-side of it or a different B-side that was attached to it of either a different single or like an acoustic version. Since it was already an acoustic song, that did no good. Um, (laughs) There's a death metal version on the back side. (laughs) I mean, knowing their early work, it's entirely plausible, which I would love to hear that. I think the newfound glory did like a pop punk version of it years ago and it was it's okay they need to have a they need to have cannibal corpse do a cover of it 
Had just do the, it on like the anniversary for the label, you know. <laughs> there is an amazing cover of I- of Iris. Actually, I just discovered a couple weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, this week while I was listening to it, it's by it's a cover by Breaking Benjamin and uh, Diamante by Iris. It's an insanely talented and skillful cover of Iris. I think I've actually heard that version. It is really good. The I have two, no comment. Two voices never mix really it. well. Yeah, like the the female male vocals on it, mm-hmm. and Diamante is a uh, bit more of a metal singer, and Breaking Benjamin, you know, is a bit more hardcore. So it does. I feel like does a really nice punk style. Did, did you just on it? Breaking Benjamin is hardcore. Uh, more hardcore than you know I than Goo Goo Dolls of two thousand and of the two thousands. Right, Alternative sure. rock, John. We've had this I'm, discussion. I'm give you that. <laughs> also, nobody's more hardcore than Goo Goo Dolls circa 2000. <laughs> no, because they won't tell them your name. It is their second number one following the single name and was nominated for Record of the Year Pop Performance by Duo or Group at the 41st Annual Grammy Awards. They lost Record of the Year to Celine Dion. Oh, uh, for my heart will go on, which oh. honestly, in terms of play and popularity, I get that. That song was unstoppable. <laughs> this one hurts. This other one hurts. Pop performance by duo or group lost <laughs> to the Brian Setzer Orchestra's Jump, Jive, and Whale. Oh, what? Dude, that's a yeah. banger, though. Come on. I mean, it was that was the summer of swing right there. Like, that was swing that, and that was a moment. A big moment dad, big bad voodoo daddy. And... Yep. I mean, the thing you can kind of appreciate with that, though, is, you know, Brian Setzer with the Stray Cats and then, you know, Goo Goo Dolls having their kind of punky background. You know, you've got kind of kind of like a new punk wave just kind of transitioning into other genres. Not not a bad thing to see. I mean, honestly, if Fest was around in the 80s, Stray Cats and Goo Goo Dolls probably would have played. 100%. It's just Stray Cats definitely more mainstream and then Brian Setzer Orchestra. It's I I just I don't understand why Swing came back. But then again, we also had a summer of ska and that's how I even got into the genre. So I can't really complain at the same time that I'm also very confused. (laughs) Honestly, looking at that record of the year, though, even if Celine Dion didn't win it, I still think Shania Twain would have won it over uh, Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. Because she had, I feel like a woman, I think. No, you're still the one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That song is everywhere, too. And then going to slide, I only have a couple notes on this one. Uh, Peaked at number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. It underperformed in a lot of countries. It actually peaked at number 43 in the UK, so it wasn't nearly as popular, which Iris, by the way, stayed in the Billboard Hot 100 for 12 months. That's nothing close to the killers, though. We're not (gasps) talking about the killers. Killers was 330 straight weeks on the top 100. Congratulations. Now back to Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> Nobody's beating that. I'm sorry. Save it and for then, the Killers uh, episode. <laughs> and we then the song slide. <laughs> Additionally, it is a song about a teenage girl in a strict Catholic environment who became pregnant and she and her boyfriend were debating as to the possibility of abortion or marriage, which does not really... It doesn't sync well with a nice poppy song like Slide. It, 
it, so yeah, like if you look at at the same time frame, like Ben Folds had Brick, which is yeah. basically the same idea, and that is a much more sort of downtrodden song. <laughs> I mean, I would expect the depression portion to be there, not just everybody is dancing at the middle school dance about a song <laughs> about maybe aborting a child, which stances aside, no, just yeah. no. <laughs> That, that upbeat that upbeat uh, melody is not exactly the uh, the right feel for that. <laughs> Wasn't there also? And I mean, like, I don't want to. I'm not trying to go political or anything on this at any point. But wasn't that also like a time period where there were maybe about three or four songs on the radio that were about the act of abortion? Because well, you had looking- Ben Folds Brick, you had Slide. I want to say there was one by the Verve Pipe. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't there, there one from uh, well, the Offspring? The- I mean, the freshman was kind of just about all kinds of like f-ing yeah. up your life when you're a kid. Ooh, I'm going to get bleeped. <laughs> Congratulations. Number two. <laughs> well, actually, we'll, we'll have a couple episodes in between. So be like number 28. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It depends on how many I had in my tirade uh, and Jay's tirade over the 30 seconds to Mars episode. I, I didn't. I, I haven't counted. Uh-huh. I feel like there's also an offspring song during that time period about the same stuff. Probably. probably. I mean, uh, it, the kids aren't all right, but that was a little bit later. That was 99 because that was Americana. Well, mm. you know, look, looking at the years, Slide came out in 98 and Brick was released in 97. So maybe Resnick decided to take a little bit from Ben Folds and say, hey, I'm going to copy your song, but try and do it better. I, I, I think it was more the political climate. Like you had a Republican kind of resurgence at that point, um, and a lot of fear of that then happening. What's happened recently with the Dobbs decision? Um, you know, so I think you had a lot of kind of just angst about that particular subject in general and other things. I mean, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on in the late nineties that I think we would all rather forget. <laughs> oh, his name's Noodles. <laughs> His Are you looking is- up offspring? Right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I had to figure it out. And There's a Dexter like, in there too. I'm like, why is this? Why is there a band man? A part of the band named Noodles, and the picture does not look like what I expected a guy named Noodles to look. That like. is the perfect segue, by the way. Hey guys, here's some depressing facts about songs about abortion. Oh, his name is Noodles. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I had to. We are never going to be monetized. Fantastic. <laughs> oh my god. Here, let me see. I had something I was going to say. I don't know what the hell it is anymore. <laughs> this is the guy named Noodles that when you go to Wikipedia, if it'll let me send it. I actually I remember what it is now. Ben Folds five, you know, it doesn't even matter, but Ben Folds Five's account with Brick was biographical, which he has said mm-hmm. in live shows. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a made up story, which makes it so much worse. Right. Because <laughs> I just what goes through your head to write the <laughs> You wake up that day and you're like, you know what I'm gonna write about. It's like he started writing the screenplay and then said, you know what? This is probably gonna be a better idea on the form of an album. <laughs> But, you know, one thing about both songs that is kind of crazy is if you listen to both of them, the verse and the chorus are just like two completely different written songs thrown together. You know, you kind of listen to the slow strumming and slide that goes in like the real like faster, you know, every everybody in the band playing all together for the chorus. It's kind of the same thing with Brick. You know, it's just very simple piano during the verse and then everybody in the band coming in the chorus 
both almost sound like just two Frankenstein songs together with no like actual, you know, nothing actually tying them together. I think that is a piece of just indie rock in the 90s where everyone had this idea that they had heard the Pixies do the soft, loud, soft. And it became this weird kind of cliche in the indie rock in particular of the like the like 94 till about 2000. Like that was just kind of like, oh, this is how we make indie rock now. <laughs> when did Lisa Loeb, because Lisa Loeb was kind of like the beginning like of the indie craze. 94, 90s, yeah. five or six, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. John, that's your song. Lisa Loeb, Stay, I Missed You. Which honestly, that's a banger. You. That's a banger. Have you? Have you listened to the uh, the Foo Fighters cover that they did for Hanukkah last year of that? I did. No. Oh, God. It's a death metal version. It's the best thing on earth. Everybody here is a huge Foo Fighters fan, so I think you just made everyone's day. Well, especially John's because he's never heard it. Dave Grohl is my hero. I have him right above my coffee pot. <laughs> so Lisa Loeb, 1994. Yeah. More pots! It's fresh pots. God, fresh get pot. your gimmick right. <laughs> Moving along, we're going to go ahead and jump into controversies. Jay, you had that coverage this week. What you got for us, buddy? So to really tell you the truth, what controversy? This band is squeaky clean. Like I have scoured the Internet. I can't really find much. Even a song like Slide, you would think a song about abortion would have drummed up a little bit of controversy not really seeing a lot, not a lot of articles on it, nothing really, you know, trying to tie them to anything really. Um, As a musician, I will say one of the biggest controversies I could see with them is Johnny Resnick's tuning of his guitars. If any guitarist has ever tried to cover a song like Iris or slide or anything like that, you notice it never sounds right. And the reason is this man doesn't know how to tune a guitar properly, apparently. Um, <laughs> so I, as someone who plays in a band that plays entirely in D standard, like I, 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 I want to hear this. <laughs> I mean, I, I played like drop D uh, E standard E flat standard. So, you know, but you usually keep somewhat of the same. No, this guy's got to have like 80 guitars on tour because every single song has a different tuning. So for instance, Iris is tuned to B D D D D D. That. So it's drop B yeah. on the low E drop and everything B, else is and D. And then everything else is D. He actually has to change the gauge of strings on his guitar. So for Iris, he has a 0.7, uh, 0.70 millimeter um, uh, of uh, E string all the way down to a 15 uh, for the light E. So, I mean, there's it's all over the place. So um, essentially he has like a D string on a bass guitar. Essentially. Oh, God. So, um Resnick actually was quoted in saying uh, in an interview with Guitar World, uh, he would basically sit there at night and just start tuning his guitar, uh, his guitar strings up and down until something sounded really cool. Uh, If you really think about the dynamics of that, though, when you take a piece of wood and you tighten a string or put a thicker string than it's really designed to have, it's going to make next bow and 
that's something as a guitarist, I just can't stand to think of how terrible some of those older guitars he has has, have got to play now. Oh, but I would love to bring it into like the guitar tech and just be like, Hey, can you check the intonation on this? (laughs) He did say he would have to like tune the, tune the guitars and then mess with the truss rod like every single day. Oh, absolutely. You'd you'd have to, I mean, I'm a drummer and I know that like that's a mess. I played with a guitar player when I was really young who had all kinds of weird tunings and yeah, like that's fine. If you're in a giant band that has like 12 guitars in a rack, like, but when you play a local crappy punk club and this guy's trying to do like D G G B A A and you're like, what are you doing? This is for one song. There was a band that I went to see years ago um, with my old drummer, Brandon. And I think it was our friend Harrison who came with us. We were going to see Authority Zero. Hi, everyone. This is Devin. I'm actually editing this episode right now. And I just wanted to chime in and say that the band we were there to see that night was Zebrahead. Although you should check out both Authority Zero and Zebrahead if you are into punk rock music in general. Both are amazing bands. Please check them out. And now the story continues. Uh, Who was not the headliner that night, Unwritten Law was. But the opening band was this kind of, I would say, grungecore band. Uh, Every song they had, all the guitars had different tunings. And they had four guitars on stage per guitarist. So after every single song, and if Brandon, if you're listening to this and anyone you're next to is listening with you, elaborate on this, but you can back me up. Um, they would switch guitars and detune and retune after every single song. I think we heard four songs over 45 minutes. <laughs> Not even an exaggeration. It was so terrible. I, ju- I just remember we're at this venue and there was an upstairs balcony, indoor and outdoor. So we're indoor to watch their set. The songs themselves sounded fine. It wasn't anything bad. The band was okay. They were decent. But then the song would end and we're standing there for five minutes watching them switch out their instruments. So we just got bored after the first song and stood out on the balcony. We're like, are they still playing? They're still playing. Okay, we're going to hang out out here. Yes. And for anyone who's listening, who's not a musician or doesn't play a musical instrument or a stringed instrument, keep your guitar in the correct tunage, please change your strings out don't screw up your guitar like all of these things that these guys are talking about these are problems that you can have with your guitar and they are serious problems you can curve your neck you can bow your neck basically if you look down at the base of your guitar down the neck then it doesn't look like a straight line there is something wrong with it and that is exactly what these guys are doing so just as a short simple explain it like i'm five explanation that's what that is So going from something that I feel is really the only real controversy this band has, uh, there's actually two instances of controversies, question mark. So in 1998, the Goo Goo Dolls wanted to play uh, the Howard Stern show. Stern claimed that their music sounded, quote, gay. Uh, He said that they could play the show if the entire band wore sailors costumes. Uh, Stern later told uh, K-Rock to not play any Goo 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 Doll songs at all until they came on to his show and started actually wearing a sailor costume during the show. K-Rock 
uh, ended up agreeing with Stern and played a promo in place of any Goo Goo Doll songs that would have played. And the promo was, quote, K-Rock Music Guarantee. We guarantee not to play the Goo Goo Dolls on K-Rock until the band agrees to perform with Howard Stern in a sailor suit and Jackie in a thong and throngs of gay men parading around the radio station. If they're too good for Howard, they're too good for K-Rock. Not coming out on the right side of history there, are they? <laughs> yeah, well, shock jock, you know. That's 1998 Howard Stern. I mean, I think that was about when Private Parts came out, too. So he was at the height of his insanity, honestly. I'm also a little confused because this sounds like a very subconscious fantasy that Howard Stern might have. I don't know that it's subconscious once you put it into all of those terms. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, it feels like a dream he had, and then he just shared it with his producer. The producer's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay, I'll write this down. Yeah, it was a dream. A wet dream. Apparently. Sorry, PG, PG. It, it, I'm not going to elaborate. Uh. <laughs> so uh, a spokesperson for the band actually said that they were unaware of any request uh, upon the band to wear anything specific. And it was actually a week later the uh, band and the radio show agreed for the Goo Goo Dolls to play. And Stern ended up dancing in a costume uh, while Goo Goo Dolls were playing. And consequently, later on, the Goo Goo Dolls music ended up coming back to the K-Rock playlist. The band later said they were huge fans of Stern. They actually loved listening to him all the time. So honestly, I'd say this is just a ridiculous PR stunt. Yeah, sounds like it. I was kind of hoping for more. I'm a little disappointed, to be honest. Well, what so wait, did Howard wear a thong? I think he wore a sailor suit. Oh, okay. oh. that's good. John, you know a lot about those, right? Uh, yeah, I love my sailor outfit. Fleet Week at Stern. But didn't Goo Goo Dolls get sued by their own drummer at some point? Uh, they let go of the drummer right before they really got big. I uh, didn't see anything about them Bro, I was talking actually like recently. sued. It was like in 2014, I believe. Like it was because he was like pregnant, like his wife got pregnant or whatever, and was going to be like fired right before she was supposed to give birth, right before their tour. I mean, I didn't didn't see anything about that at all. Actually, I'm curious now. Uh, yeah, their second drummer, not their first drummer, uh, Mike Melaninin, Melatonin, Mike Melatonin, Melanin, Melaninin, Millennium, 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 Mike Millennium Falcon. Goo Goo Dolls longtime drummer claims the band wrongfully fired him as he took a tour break for the birth of his twins. Uh, he was let go after 19 years. And yeah, he fired a formal complaint. It does look like there was a lawsuit. I'll plan it. Plan oh, it got dismissed for mutual prejudice. So like both sides got like. Uh, so the judge just said both sides screw off. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly how they word it in court, too, if I'm not mistaken. Well, considering sure. it was it was 2013 when they released him, I don't think anybody cared about the Goo Goo Dolls at that point. No, hey, I mean, now Dizzy Up the Girl and then the following album, I think, were the last two big ones. And then everything else, just with I mean, with streaming, kind of started to put a record out this year. Who would have known? So, speaking of that record, actually, Chaos and Bloom, there was another wonderful quote controversy oh for the yeah i like you video uh in the video the band appears at a red carpet event surrounded by a social media influencers and fans 
but the whole thing quickly devolves into a knockdown drag out brawl. Everyone then collectively decides that the video's director played by the actual video director, Keenan O'Reilly is responsible and they all go after him and administer a beatdown. Uh, right before the video dropped, actually, the band tweeted out an apology uh, saying that they were unaware of O'Reilly's, quote, true motives and do not endorse or condone any of his actions. Uh, O'Reilly later posted a sarcastic apology on his own Instagram, writing, quote, I have embarrassed myself and my loved ones. I will accept whatever consequences what follow. The thing is. Nobody knew what was going on until after the video got released. And then everybody started realizing, oh, well, this is definitely a stunt. And I give them credit for kind of trying to use the PR machine to their advantage. But I think it's a little too little too late at that point. Yeah, that seems like a weird one. That's yeah, that album, this new album didn't even chart in America. That's crazy. It just sounds like the the only thing they're guilty of is being really boring <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know to each their own yeah i mean I, I don't mean it in the sense like the music is boring or anything like that if you like the music you like the music nobody's gonna knock you for your preferences it's cool but it's just i i think they're just trying to get back in the mainstream light and no one cares because it's not as exciting right so i, th- I think that's 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 what I mean by boring is like this is all stuff that's not anything. I mean, well, it's one of those things where like it they are clearly a band for people who have stopped finding new music. Oh my, this is going <laughs> deep. <laughs> I mean, they are like they're a legacy band. They're a band that if you listen to them and you like them, but you are probably of an age where you're not exactly looking at the internet for band drama. Right, Whoa. Like that is definitely a younger person's game. <laughs> or if you're like me and you're just still part of the industry, like you still kind of are part of that. But I think for the most part, like there's been studies where people stop finding new music at about the age of 35. Like that's when they stop. <laughs> Jay and I are right there. <laughs> yes. Five for so, me. Like, I but it. I think you know, like if you're trying to do publicity stunts at that, like if you are of that particular era, like you're probably past the time of anybody giving any craps. Yeah. I I think that's a fair statement. I got two things. John Resnick collaborated with Limp Bizkit in 2001 on a cover of wish you were here. Oh Oh, dear God. Why? Oh my God. Why did I not listen to that? Uh, For an America benefit tribute to the heroes concert in 2001. Yeah, I, I knew about the concert because I knew they they did a cover. Well, they didn't do a cover, but they performed Iris at the concert. And I, I think there was like a featured live album that they had the live version of that on. But why? Okay, Just, you know what? Leave the good name of Fred Durst out of your mouth, sir. I found it. Oh, found God, it. no. Kevin, I'm from Jacksonville. Same. All right, here it is. So when you're born I mean, in Jacksonville, I, they, I lived in Charlotte for a long time and Fred Durst is originally from Gastonia. So like, you know, when, when you're born in Jacksonville, they at, at birth, whenever you leave the hospital, they give your parents a Leonard Skinner album and a Limp Bizkit album <laughs> and a red baseball cap. <laughs> Always backward. <Damn> it. <laughs> and it's the Yankees and no one ever explains it. Yeah, but the first, I, the first time I saw Limp Bizkit or the only time was I saw them on Warp Tour. 
um, in like 1997, uh, like before anybody knew who they were, they, they were on one of the stages and they were, nobody knew what the hell to do with that. Like they played right after less than Jake. Oh God. I'm a dude. He's a dude. She's a dude. Three dollar bill, y'all. South Florida. (laughs) South Florida was a weird. We had a lot of that stuff. We had a lot of ska and a lot of new metal going on at the same time. I mean, obviously, Marilyn Manson had just like blown up, and like it was a weird place to be. That's all Um, I can imagine is is Fred Durst hopping (laughs) on, hopping on a real big fish collaboration (laughs) to do the (laughs) reggae bits. It's so nice. I want to hear. Oh, yeah. I'm just rolling and rolling and rolling. I'm just imagining Fred Durst just skanking in the crowd in the middle of like someone else's set. Is to hold his hat down because nobody wants it. <laughs> nobody wants He doesn't want anybody to know he's been bald since he was 19. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to get sued. But, all right. The second thing John Resnick wrote uh performed one song for the treasure planet movie in 2002 which is okay. easily one of the most underrated disney movies of all time okay i i will give that as a positive i will definitely give that as a positive that's a good what one. happened what happened to disney uh american animation what don happened to don bluth who is that i think we've already brought up the house of mouse enough let's yeah. try and keep away from getting sued uh, Don Bluth is responsible for most of the Fox animated films that were in the late eighties and early nineties. Oh God. What's the little dinosaurs one. We talked about it before land, land before, before time. time, land before time, secret of Nim, um, Titan. Oh, AE. Oh, well, I'll tell you what happened to land before time. There's 14 sequels. Wait, no, 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 no. I'll tell you what happened to land before time. Little, little foot never matured. He is still little and no one explains it. I mean, Bart Simpson's still nine, so, you know. All right, so you know Ducky? No, we kn- oh, I know time? this one, yeah. This is unfortunate. Yeah, Ducky, uh, the the late, the daughter, the little girl that played her, Voight, uh, got murdered by, uh, you know, their dad in a double murder strider side. It's pretty terrifying. Yeah. This is Thanks a grim for bringing note. the mood down, Joe. Yeah, this is a grim note to end the episode on. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, gentlemen... Your elaborations, do you feel like it's deserved the hate towards Goo Goo Dolls? Uh, Jay, I will start with you. Honestly, are they my band? No, but there's definitely a lot of songs of theirs that I still listen to all the time. I've tried to play a lot of their songs on guitar. Change your freaking tuning, Resnick. But overall, they're an enjoyable band. They've made music that's honestly been able to continue playing on the radio for 20 years, almost 30 years at this point. I think that's a success. And honestly, that's one of those things where everyone can enjoy it. It's not okay. Well, I only like this genre, so I'm not going to like this band. They're a very open band for anyone to kind of get into. They're not too hard, not too soft. It's kind of, it's, it's a Goldilocks right in the middle. So I don't think they deserve any hate. John. I definitely don't believe they deserve any hate. Uh, I mean, sometimes bands, once they find a niche they stay with that niche and, you know, they call it good, you know, is that playing it safe? Sure. But it's uh, better than selling out. So definitely a successful and great band though. Uh, Kevin. Um, I would say like they're, 
I think in the last, you know, like 20 years, probably nobody's thought about them in general. So like, I think they are a band worth going back and listening to. I think like you said, like you can listen to some of those songs and be like, those actually sound almost contemporary again. Um, you know, so I think they're, you know, they're definitely not worth the hate that they got back in like the late nineties that I think they kind of got swept up in the formation of what is now adult alternative. I think there's a lot of bands that kind of got sucked into that and maybe for, you know, better or worse, or maybe they should or should not have, but I think they kind of, because of Iris and name, like they kind of got swept into that and then, found like john said found a niche that worked for them found some success the thing that i think is weird about them is just like if you look at what was going on in buffalo when they got signed it doesn't make any sense that they got signed at all right like you had green jelly like if you look at like the buffalo wikipedia for what was happening in the late 80s early 90s you had green jelly um you had Snapcase, you had cannibal corpse and like all these metal bands and there's nothing in the indie rock world. So the fact that they made it out of that and at all is kind of amazing. So I think they do have some really good songs. They've got some really good lyrics, if nothing else. Like some of the songs can be a little, um, you know, simplistic. I think some of them are really well done, but I think his lyrics are actually worth going back and listening to. So I await the dashboard confessional cover of Iris. <laughs> Chris Karuba uh, influencing a new generation of emo kids. I think they're kind of like the Jay Leno of adult contemporary bands where they try to keep it as neutral as possible with the exception of destroying Conan O'Brien's Tonight Show. Um, Or hiding in a closet just to get the job on the Tonight Show to begin with. Yeah, that's another one, too. I I don't want to elaborate on that. But I mean, just as far as the the hosting aspect of it, more like trying to stay neutral and not trying to irritate or piss anybody off. Yeah, I think they they did that. I think they need to hire a new PR person. Um, (laughs) it's, It's just like, I don't understand this. I think I've done worse stuff for that for attention and. Yeah, I I think Jay and I collectively have done worse stuff for that for attention. And it just it doesn't I don't know. Uh the the Howard Stern thing makes sense as far as PR is concerned. The music video doesn't I I don't even understand how that's supposed to be controversial in the least. Um, but as far as like the music is concerned, I don't think they really deserve it too much. It is one of those bands, yeah. They literally are on the adult contemporary charts. Yeah. Still. So and it's been almost 40 years. So good for them. Props for them. Glad you can maintain a career that long. Jay, I will teach you uh, the actual tuning that you can use to play any of their songs. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, it's the D-A-D-A-A-E or D-A-D-A-A-D if you're going to be, uh, you know, a, a rebel. It's not the same, though. No, it's that drop B. It throws everybody off, but... I don't know why I still don't understand why he does that. Why did he did he put a capo on it too or something? Oh, he I uses don't... capos all the time too. Welcome to my and... world. <laughs> Apparently, one of the reasons why he did it too was like he was just a lazy guitarist. He said, "If I couldn't reach the note, I would just change my tuning or throw a capo on until I could easily reach it." I mean, that's just that's just practicality right there. I'm down for it. By the so way, what... if you're a... 
One thing I wanted to plug because it is the my introduction to Goo Goo Dolls is there is a compilation um, called No Alternative that came out in like 92, 93 that was a, um, a thing for AIDS awareness. And they have a cover of Bitch on there, which I think is a great cover of that song. Um, but that's actually a really good like time capsule of what alternative music in like the early 90s was. I think that it's I've gone back and listened to it recently and been like, this is still a good record. There was this weird period in the early 90s where you had the grunge era and the, I would say, the emergence of punk through mainstream with bands like The Offspring and then early Green Day. Yep. We'll get to the Green Day episode much, much later. Um, Don't you shake your head, Jay. You know it's going to happen. That's going to be such a bad episode. (laughs) I think our last two were pretty bad. Uh, Kevin hasn't heard them yet, but it'll be good. He's listened to our other ones, so he understands. But uh, yeah, it's uh, (laughs) it's going to it's interesting, but it went from like this, you know, the the grunge and punk aspect. And then there was this period of time for like two or three years where all the music just kind of blended into the walls. Yeah. Like you weren't really paying attention to it, but you were aware it was playing in the background. Uh, there used to be a skit on Conan O'Brien um, called uh, people caught enjoying Phil Collins. <laughs> And he would stalk people in the grocery store with a camera and you'd see somebody saying, I can feel that. And then they turn and just uh, big stamp on the screen caught. I think there needs to be one for Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> I, I would, I would definitely support that because yes, I think they are one of those bands like them and like Dave Matthews band that just like, they're constantly on in the stores when you're there and you, you can't even help it. Like it's just, it's part of them. It's part of being an American now. It's just like singing along to those dumbass songs. I, I feel, and I, I'm going to piss off so many people with this. <laughs> Dave Matthews Band, to me, is the white people's version of what they perceive reggae to be. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. I'm sorry, because I know, like, UB40, I know, but still, like, you have bob marley and then you have some people that are like but dave matthews man all we do is go to the concerts and get high <laughs> it's oh, just the pride of charlottesville i, I i'm gonna say it because i i gotta say hi to my buddy travis um he posted something on facebook a little while ago he was in seattle and he was seeing dave matthews band and he posted a status stating i have an extra backstage pass for dave matthews band tonight in seattle would anybody want this? And my only comment was, this is the whitest status I've ever read. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, he is a very short human being. I met him years ago. Um, but yeah, he's very short. Um, he seems personable, like a yeah, nice guy. Very, you know, I, nice. I just the, the music to me is what I feel like white people perceive as reggae. <laughs> and it's it's great. It's interesting. It's different. But I just like, what is this? I don't understand. <laughs> But as far as Google Dolls are concerned, it sounds like the consensus is everybody seems to enjoy them in, in their own way. I think so, I think more people should listen to those first couple of records that came out on Metal Blade and and like get a better understanding of kind of where they came out of. And then, you know, like I think there's some really good songs on those those first couple of records. Definitely. And I'm going to I'm going to drop our, our mutual group. Uh, if you came over from Fest Friends to listen to this, uh, to listen to Kevin speak on here check out the first three albums because it definitely sounds like something that would have been played at the shows i think yeah. kevin that's what we need to do from a long distance do a early goo goo dolls cover band yes or you guys need to do a couple covers of early songs from them 
I, I mean, I'd be down for it. I, I don't know that I would be able to talk my band into that, but maybe I could. Maybe we could talk Tony into a uh, a Goo Goo Dolls cover set next year for Fest. That'd be good, but just only cover the songs nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> They're all original. <laughs> well, Kevin Gavigan again is here as the drummer for Plastic Flamingos. Thank you again, Kevin, for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. This is fantastic. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This has been super fun. On behalf of Jay and John, this has been Parlay Radio. I said everything else, so I'm going to say good night. Parlay Radio is a music-related educational podcast done through the means of satire protected by fair use and copyright. Thanks again to this episode's guest, Kevin Gavigan, who you can listen to with his band Plastic Flamingos through your streaming services. Parlay Radio is hosted by Jay Bain, John Coleman, and Devin Hughes. Intro music and incidental music is provided by Cloudkicker. You can find us on Facebook at Parlay Radio, Instagram at Parlay Radio Podcast, and on TikTok at Parlay Radio. Do you have a small business you would like featured on the program? We will plug your small business for free, so please reach out to us so we can plug your stuff. Thank you for listening.